Hello, and welcome back to Conversations with Barb and Pam. We are happy to be back to talk today about when differences appear between behavior at home and school. We go into some of the possible reasons for these differences, as well as the developmental foundations that if we can target them between home and school, sometimes it can be really helpful to change behavior. So we hope you enjoy the talk. We parent kids with autism so differently. Well, don't you think that's the that's based on the feedback that they gave when they were, they meaning the person with autism, the feedback loop that was derailed or <clears throat> um, altered oh, early definitely. on? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and I think if somebody, it's interesting because we've had conversations about like what makes, what makes one family successful and another family not, and I think a a big part of it might be understanding typical development. And um, because if you know typical development, you kind of have a sense of when to push what. Where if you know back to that feedback system, you have kids with autism who may not be pushing in the same directions that neurotypical might. And so trying to stay out in front of that and keep balance is going to be a lot harder if you don't understand typical development. Are you following me? I'm completely following you. I guess I would take one step back from knowing typical development because I do find even families who are quite savvy, really got a strong sense of, um, who their kid is and how to parent them and that sort of thing. Uh huh. They don't always have a specific like they don't know what's necessarily typical or not. They still have those questions, but they trust their instincts more and they stick with their instincts and they don't sort of go down. Mm. So so I guess I guess I'm pulling back from the idea that somehow they're more learned or educated on typical development or they even. That they had more... That's a good point. Some people are just more uh, in tune, so maybe it's more about the attunement with the kid than it is... Right? Is that what you're trying to say? Well, not even... But, but it's attunement with the kid and not a, not attunement with the autism. Ah. Right? So it's to say... It's to say... That's interesting. That's interesting. Because I think that there are there is both. People think, oh, I, I'm really in tune with the autism, and so I want to be super respectful... But then that may not be challenging the child enough or over-challenging them. Right. Right? Huh. Versus remembering that you can attune with the kid first. So it's the balance between those two pieces of it. Yeah. Is that, yes, I understand you have autism, but you're also a person in the world. Yep. And I'm your parent. (laughs) And so when I I say you should try your green beans, you should try your green beans because I'm not going to kill (laughs) you. With green beans. I'm actually trying to keep you healthy. (laughs) Yeah, which, you know, we talk a lot about this kind of guide-apprentice relationship and helping parents be guides and what that means. And I I do see that again and again of um, if somebody doesn't feel that confidence as a guide, kids, probably all kids, but especially those on the spectrum, will see right through that and not feel the um, kind of typical soothing that comes from that. It'll feel more uh, uncertain 
and um, not as soothing. Well, and invite the need for control Mm -hmm. and invite, and therefore often that invites the slippery slope of some of the the challenging behaviors that families encounter because that's usually the response to that uncertainty, right? Is mm-hmm. is increasing trying to control things and then you have other problems. Um so along those lines, so what if what if I have a family right now that is um you know, it's a common issue actually. There are kind of two scenarios, right? One where the school things are going really well at school and the child's melting down at home. And then there's, and that's a little bit more common, but what I see a lot now, especially when a family has been working with me or us, is that things go really well at home and they're falling apart at school. Why do you think that's happening? Well, I mean, we've been in enough school meetings together where we do understand that not everybody on a school level has the... um, has the leeway to see every individual student as a person first and see everybody as... Having to focus on the group dynamic. Having to focus on the group dynamic or having to focus on the the blacks and black and whites of testing or IEPs Mm -hmm. or the reality that the heat's not on in the building or, you know, pick your thing, right? (laughs) Right. So... So, which is all fair. Those people are all human yeah. beings, and I know they went into education with a, a good heart. There's, totally. You know, yeah. you can't do it. Not, not for money. <laughs> you're not doing it for money, and you're not doing it for fame. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, so then it becomes, um, so, so then I do think that it, what I'm often seeing is that just a very, they're not slowing down. When it comes to a school setting that's not, um, where home is going well and school is not, I often think that that school is not reading that kid well. So either pushing too much, not enough, misunderstanding communication, um, just general overwhelm. I'm really thinking a lot these days about kind of that concept of bucket and, you know, everybody's got a bucket and how does it get overflow? How does it overflow and how... um, how do we recognize that that's what, what what's happening and how do we recognize our contribution to the what's being added to the bucket mm-hmm. all of those kinds of things and so um sorry I, I do <laughs> hey everybody it's nine o'clock <laughs> I do wonder about um about that element when something's going well at home that I wonder if a family is just reading them better or understanding that we might have to take, it's kind of what we said in the previous, the last time, is that sometimes the family has to be the one that can take, you know, takes a step back because school just can't or won't. Mm. And that's what helps the kid overall be more regulated. Yeah. I have a kiddo right now that I'm actually wondering, you know how we have kids a lot who categorize, right? I do this at home, but I don't do this at school, or I do this at school, and I don't do it at home. I think there might be some element of that, too, Hmm. Um, sometimes. But in this case, it's almost like we're working so hard on celebrating independence and giving more control in ways that are appropriate so that he's not taking control in inappropriate ways, mm-hmm. 
where when you go in a school environment, though, and I almost feel like, well, I need to have a conversation with him directly, which is kind of hard. He's kind of more of that unreliable talker, so it's hard to figure out how to support him in understanding. But understanding that the rules at school and work are a little bit different because you can't have as much choice and independence sometimes right. in those settings. So how old is this person? Middle school. That's interesting just because I'm thinking of someone who I feel like is in that same position. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, I'm trying to kind of rack my brain because that person, that child is a little younger, but really responsive to that's a home thing. This is a school thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wouldn't call them the most reliable communicator, but not. So now I'm trying to think of what elements are in place for him mm-hmm. that um, could be built in your scenario I to don't support. think that that has necessarily been clearly communicated with him. Okay. Just this morning I was thinking about it going, you know, maybe. I mean, sometimes with, with kids with autism, yeah. they just need more information. We say that all the time. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we forget to give the basics. Yeah. And we make it way more complicated than it needs to be. And that's the, one of the beautiful things about autism is like, hey, maybe it's just a simple rule. Yeah. <laughs> Which I, I, I absolutely said to this kid, I said, you just can't do it here. <laughs> what, there, I can't even remember what the thing was. I can't remember what it was he wanted to do. He wanted to do something that was totally doable and not, and made and could have been done. But I said, no, nope, it's not time. You can't do it here. <laughs> and was super clear. And he was like, okay. <laughs> and rolled with it and was able to say, oh, okay, I guess. And, and I, I, what I'm definitely always trying to do is say, let's look at what everybody else is doing. Because mm-hmm. I do, there does this does your child does your middle schooler have motivation of peers and inclusion and, and involvement and understand that that might be something is that is that motivating? He has really close friends and has yes he he's really interesting because he's um, he has a lot of motivation there yes. But he certainly is not keyed into, I'm going to do it because other people are doing it. Oh, interesting. If that makes sense. He, he is an independent, um, creative personality. And um, I think, actually, the fact that he um, kind of, uh, what is it, beats to his own oh, drum? Yeah, marches to his own marches drum. Marches to his own drum um, is kind of part of his confidence. If that oh. makes sense, right? Yeah. Um, and so when people are telling him, no, you have to do it this way, that's actually the problem. Oh. So I don't know, but it might be interesting to try and tap in to help him understand that piece with his peers. I don't know. That's hard because it also gets into the whole thing of like... Conformity. And, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And is that really what we want? Yeah. I mean, yeah. the hard part is that that's really goes back to a family decision about... Right? What are your values? Are you, yeah. Do you value him beating to his own drum? And... So they fully do. School doesn't. But because marching to your own drum isn't following you right. know, the, <laughs> the way that you need to learn in school. And but, so then he gets really upset and turns over tables. But the, but the issue is, is school willing, or sorry, is home willing to have there be a message of, you can beat, march to your own drum, but these are the That's times. That's what I'm wondering. If he just needs some help in understanding where he can do that and where he can't. Right. Mm-hmm. Because 
I think that's and that's part of adolescence, I think, but right? That's all kids are trying to so figure true. out the boundaries <laughs> of where my uniqueness bumps into everybody else's sameness or however one would think about that. Yeah. Um and 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 just needs to be supported. Obviously, there's a language component with your it sounds like with your student a little at least a little bit. You said unreliable. Yeah, he's super verbal. It just is, he doesn't, it's not his uh, easiest form. He's pretty amazing. He will, if he, if he's trying to convey something, he'll take out a piece of paper and start drawing it if he can't mm. verbally. Oh, nice. Yeah. He's got a lot of good um, uh, strategies mm-hmm. and dynamic thinking going yeah. on, actually, for trying to get what he wants across. So I had an interesting kind of parallel um, scenario with a family where there was a very specific behavior that, um, so also a younger student, also a less reliable student, a less reliable communicator. And the function or the behavior was spitting, but it was like Mm -hmm. a kind of thing. And it was... Sorry, how old? Seven. Okay. So the behavior was... Both, I'm happy, woohoo, or I don't like what you just said to me, right? So the function of the behavior was this thing. So we talked at home about, well, he needs something to do in that moment and words aren't going to happen. So what, and and he picked, parents worked with him to, 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 so some alternates, what are some of your alternates that you could do? And he picked whistling. Well, now school doesn't like him whistling. Oh, no. So school doesn't like, so... So I talked to family about, like, at some point they have to understand then they need to work with him on finding a replacement behavior that can't... I mean, you figured it out at home. Like, it's to a certain degree... Oh, that school needs to figure out a replacement behavior? Yeah. Yeah. Because whistling works for them, and he likes it, and he chose it, and it works for them at home. So why does he have to be the one that always changes? Totally. But uh, what also is true for him... Well, is, but he also demonstrated that he could select something. True. And so it really should... The, the, I would hope that the school would hear that and say, oh, well, you know, that's not okay here at school, but what are some things that are okay? Mm-hmm. That's hard because he picked a good one with his mouth. Yeah. Which then a lot of the mouth ones are not going to work at school. But the whole point of that behavior for him is that it's his mouth that needs to do something in right. that moment. Exactly. So they're going to need to figure something out. But that, I mean, that I feel like is a pitfall that school falls into sometimes that home can sort of resolve. The other one that I was um, thinking about and talking with, actually, with that same exact family, it was a different set of behaviors, but we were talking about how he was wiggly, his sensory system was all over the place at school, and then when that was the most prominent for him was also a point of lots of transition between adults. (laughs) And when they took that out, I said, oh... And she said, yeah, it was fine when, when the aide just gave up her lunch and stayed with him. And I said, that's because he knew where to find himself. So, yeah. you know, he knew he knew his guide. He knew he was able to regulate because he was able to co-regulate with that person. He had a and relationship. And were predictable. Totally. Mm-hmm. But even if there was a predictable routine of the change, mm-hmm. he didn't have an anchor through right. the turmoil of his own personal body and right. transitions yeah. and stuff like that. And so... it coming back to your guy, what's potentially missing from the school that's a present at home is a relationship that he can hang on to through some of these things. 
It's interesting because home actually has a lot of people. Everybody's really busy coming and going. So it's almost like he can, it's himself at home. That's his own anchor. Oh, interesting. Hmm. But he's not anchoring well, at school? He has really close relationships with his siblings. <clears throat> I'm wondering if it's... Huh. So if, I mean, is there yeah, a way... You're right that he doesn't have as close relationships at school. <clears throat> to them, and especially from, like, a guide. An adult, to right. an adult. Although, um, I mean, I think the school would argue that they are available and they have people. Right, but that... Just because a person's standing there doesn't mean you have a relationship with them. Yeah. We always come back to that, right? Yeah. <laughs> a physical presence is not a relationship. A physical presence is a physical presence. Yeah, so then how do classroom teachers have a relationship with every single child in the classroom? That's like the quintessential question for all teachers, whether it's autism or not, right? But it's also it's teaching many. 101. That is my background, and that is the thing that they talk about that you learn as a student teacher you learn that you and and you learn it depending on your guidance at that moment you learn it possibly through classroom management like mm-hmm. that you're hey did you see so and so's you know tur- you know fiddling in their desk and so and so's passing a note and so and so's you know whispering to their person so you you start with that but it's then the way you manage those things mm-hmm. by connecting with that person that person who's passing a note. Well, maybe they have something they really need to talk about, or maybe they, you know, didn't engage with the material and you have to change your... Why do we lose that? Why do we lose... I feel like so quickly when we get busy, we have too many kids in our classrooms, we have challenging behaviors, all of a sudden we go away from the relationship and we go into consequence-based behavior management, and which doesn't work. That is a really good point. And I am thinking now of a first grade classroom that I've spent some time in recently. And I was thinking about how in about a 10 minute span, this teacher had to get the 28 kids in from Reese, you know, in from lunch. So transition, you got all your 28 little bodies doing whatever it is they're going to do. Right. Yep. You have, um, a set amount of time to do math. You have 120 minutes or 100 minutes a day to do math. And these are 40 of your 100, and 100 minutes and or whatever it is. I don't, I'm not doing the math. Don't quote me on the math. <laughs> <laughs> but you have this amount of time and you have to get through X amount of pages and you know that it's going to take them, right? And that's their state standard. Like they have to get it or 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 it's you that's re- that's reflected poorly on right Mm -hmm. but you also have six and seven year olds who have just moved through time and space it's now the middle they've been at school for four hours so they're or three out three and a half hours so and so guess what she spent 10 those 10 minutes going boys and girls i'm trying to talk and i need your attention you're talking out this that and the other thing and and after a while she just stopped talking and was trying but she there it would be one strategy for her to go and connect with each student. But is that 
And maybe that's, it would be interesting to run an experiment in a classroom where like, if instead of saying to the whole class, class, we're, we need to do math right now. If she went up to everybody and touched their shoulder and said, you know, essentially, I see you, I, I know you're here and I'm proud of you. And, mm-hmm. you know, and then moved on to the next kid and moved on to the next kid. And if we timed it, how much time she's spending on behavior, how much time she's spending on co-regulation to see what the difference is, it would be a fascinating well, have you seen those videos, and we can post one in the show notes, but have you seen the videos of the teachers who greet every student on the way in to yes. the classroom? And how, I think there are some studies that show how much more successful those kids are. Because, and they have different handshakes for each, I don't even, I cannot even re- imagine remembering 28 different handshakes, but pretty amazing teachers out there who do value that, and I think it's very true, you may, that may take more time yeah. in the beginning. But you're probably going to be so much more um, connected with all of your students for the learning that happens right. in the maybe not 120 minutes, but maybe 110 minutes. Right. Well, but and and I don't mean to throw this person under the bus. She's a phenomenal, phenomenal teacher. Oh, yeah. This was a hard. This was not an easy 15 minutes that I was there. And they they did come around and they were doing their math. And she really has their you know has it dialed in. She is a fantastic, fantastic teacher. But I can see where it feels like when it, if the, the, the thing that's the most present Mm -hmm. is the action you just took. So me responding to the action you just took feels, um, effective in the moment because it's the most visible thing. Yeah. Me going... You just took that action. I need to think about you as a person. Those are layers down that I have to do. So it's harder work for me and it's harder work for you, right? So I understand having to take care of it in the moment. Like, I think if you didn't, that would be not good either Mm -hmm. because you have to give that model, of course, to other kids too. Like, no, we're not going to tolerate that behavior right now. This is what has to happen. But then... I mean, really, I think that poor teachers right now are just so overwhelmed with um, numbers of kids with, um, I mean, even, you know, I thought about we should talk sometime about um, integration and full inclusion. Yeah. And um, teachers aren't taught how to do that, let alone having time to plan for that. Right. I mean, that gets cut every day, that planning time. And that takes planning time. It takes being able to be creative, which... Uh, and collaboration. How often have we talked about, ugh. you know, that we can't find any time to collaborate. But they, and, and no, to no fault of theirs, they, right. they, they have no time to collaborate. I mean, I caught a teacher for 90 seconds and felt intrusive, <laughs> yeah. you know? Yeah, totally. Um, but you're right. I mean, it, it's interesting because they... Um, I feel like, don't, don't you agree that sometimes early childhood tends to be the place that leads the charge in some of these areas? And then if kids are sort of in early childhood, that relationship stuff is much more valued right now, I think. Oh, definitely. Yeah. And therefore, you could see it. It, it. It's the, when we start to put our American system of we must achieve certain things by certain ages, by certain times, by certain tests. Yeah. Then we're the the thing that we're doing is sacrificing all the stuff that actually helps the person be a human being learner. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. Interesting. 
Well, back to your guy. Yeah. Um, what has been tried by the school to remedy this? Well, there's another layer of, um, uh, <laughs> um, school and home don't necessarily see eye to eye on things. Ah. Um, and so it gets a little murky. That's not to say that school hasn't tried a number of different things. It's that they may not have been valued for trial and error. Oh. At the same time as, you know, it's hard because I hear the family side only, and I don't, you know, schools nowadays are letting us in less and less to be able to see what's happening. Mm -hmm. And so um, I don't know a whole lot of what's been tried. I know that they do a really beautiful job of supporting him in being as independent as possible. Mm -hmm. um, I think they aren't as well equipped for some of the more challenging behaviors because the setting isn't for that, right? Because yeah. there are some... Um, I mean, that's, that's a whole other topic, too, mm -hmm. because I, we have so many students who academically are sometimes even at age level or close or somewhere in there, mm -hmm. but their behavior is excluding them from their peers. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that's the case here. Because then if, they, if they're placed where they should be academically, then the team isn't quite prepared for the behaviors that can happen. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's the case here. Is that, oh, I see. Um, so he's... So they're... That's an interesting thing, you know, back to, we kind of alluded to it, maybe this is our topic for next time, which is really that concept of inclusion and all the layers that go into what does that mean. Um, yeah, interesting. Well, I could see where, because you know what ends up happening, so in a, so let's say he, so he's, if he's in seventh grade, middle school, whatever. The, the expectation starts to really shift that the student is doing so much more of the management of everything, right? Self-regulation, mm -hmm. management of the content, management of their time, right? Yep. That's the transfer of responsibility. And if he's overwhelmed by that layer, it doesn't matter the content that's being put upon him. He's not being taught that layer of... And, and I will say middle schools try to teach those things, but they try to the mean they don't try to the ends right they don't try, they're not trying to teach the special um the, the the folks whose brains might not naturally go towards the middle right like if your organization if you if you don't if you're not don't have the same sense of time as everybody else your time management is going to be need to talk be taught differently that's my point it's like from a sensory perspective if you're not if you have attention issues and you're not noticing that time has gone by your planning for how you're going to do a set of work in front of you is going to be totally different from the kid sitting next to you. Yeah, the interesting thing that I'm thinking about is that I think that they do that well. Oh, really? So I do think that they are really working on helping. I think what they are not seeing is that his behavior that leaks out other places is a result of him being potentially overwhelmed or confused or something because it comes off as being angry. Oh, I see. So there's that's actually then a totally different conversation for us to have too where we say where we say the action that the action that the person's taking isn't actually their intention. So how often does that happen in autism? All the time, right? 
And, and then all the it's time. totally misunderstood because people take it as being more manipulative or whatever. Yeah. Kind of back to the being bad conversation totally. we had last time. Totally. <laughs> well, I just had a conversation with a family last night where they were saying, you know, if he's tired or, over, or, or hungry or distracted, if we ask him a question, his pat answer is no. Yep. And how many, we have that so many times, right? Yeah, totally. This person, this child doesn't even have autism, but it's a common thing where sort of the impulse is, nope, I'm going to protect myself, right? Right. But you and I know to see that as, no, I'm going to protect myself. Yeah. Families are hearing, gosh, she's saying no again. Or a, t- a school is saying, uh, he's just going to say no. He's avoiding exactly. work. Exactly. He's avoiding work. Yeah. He's not, it's a non-preferred activity. Right. <laughs> you know, is that and the other thing. I'm thinking, so I specifically said to this family, I said, are we sure that that's the word he means in that moment? Or is it just the word that came out? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and, and I that's think, what we're talking about, about totally. being an unreliable speaker. Right. right. Yeah. But it goes back to the behavior too, right? It's, yeah. It's, that's the behavior action. Is communication. Totally. So there you go. Well, and that's, that's the right. action that came out. I didn't actually mean to be angry or, you know, or I didn't actually mean to hurt anyone. That wasn't my intention. It's very rare that we have a kid who actually means to hurt someone else. Right. So true. One of the beautiful things about autism, I think, is just the um, lack of um, ill will (laughs) towards others. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But yeah, back to that of um, that behavior. It's interesting because just yesterday I was having a conversation with a family who has an eight-year-old and who is fairly nonverbal. So um, he has a few words, but not many. But um, they were saying that uh, over the last week he's been a lot more um, focused on certain toys that he likes and only one of them that he has been, um, when a timer has worked for transitioning him, it hasn't been working a few times. So he's definitely getting more rigid thinking just over the last week. And um, me knowing autism, I said, oh, well, it sounds like potentially he's stressed or not feeling well. And that's not the first thing that people think of Mm -hmm. if they don't know autism. And so the parents were like, oh, wow. Yeah, well, I've been sick. Brother's sick right now. There's a good chance he's sick, Mm -hmm. right? Or, um, you know, we had a holiday just the other day. And so the, the, the schedule's off. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's just um, so interesting to think about the, you know, uh, back to my teen, my preteen, whatever, mm-hmm. of knocking over tables. They're going to see it as he's angry about something that's happening and he doesn't understand it rather than he's confused. Mm-hmm. He doesn't, he needs more information. Or he's angry and he wants, he, he's not getting his way. That that's what they say or what, that's what's happening? That's what he, they say. Yeah. That he's not totally. getting, that we're yep. asking him to do a non-preferred. Right, 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 right. <laughs> Our favorite keyword. It's a non-preferred activity. Well, what throws us, though, is that he'll do that when he's in, like, the gym or the cafeteria. Where the first thing for me is, I think it well, auditory is way overwhelming in those situations. If he's motivated to be with his peers and something goes wrong, he's in a heightened state already. He may then be, his bucket may overflow. Mm-hmm. Are they doing any work to calm his system before he enters those? That's the other thing is like the timing of... I can't imagine that they are because they're seeing it as, they're either saying it's coming out of nowhere, we don't know what's going on. Mm-hmm. 
um, yeah. So what, yeah. And this school, because you're with the family, the school's not open to your no input. Yeah. No, they're not. Yeah. That's yeah. unfortunate. Yeah. It's interesting because being in private practice with both of us having been in the public school system, it's so interesting because even when I was a school teacher, I, when private people would come in, my hackles went up because it was like, no, I know what to do. I can do this. I don't need you. Mm-hmm. We're now being on the outside. <laughs> it's so interesting to get that when we go into IEP meetings or when we go, you know, trying to collaborate where... Um, we know now that we're in private practice that we so much can help the whole system. Well, and we can all be a team. Uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, everybody has something to contribute. Yeah. So, because I don't know the limitations of your setting. I don't right. know the limitations of your role. You know, I would I have a kid sit on my lap. <laughs> I don't think a lot of teachers would do that, but you know what I mean? Like... Um, which is fair. I, uh... It's so funny because if a teacher really wants us to go away, the more they would be open to collaboration. I know! You know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah, it's true. So, the more that they say, hey, let's collaborate, the more we're going to say, wow, you know, we can transfer this responsibility to the parents now because they feel more confident. You feel like you can collaborate with the team. Everybody's on the same page. We're out. We don't need to be here anymore. Yeah. (laughs) It's true. It's true. I well, I'm um so with so with regard to your middle schooler, are you so uh, what elements are working at home? Just the kind of co-regulation and um organization? You know, the the family is kind of intermittent in their in their coming in. Um kind of when things are hitting a crisis, they'll come in. What I have gathered from my recommendations that have been really helpful are not talking as much, slowing down. Um, a lot around that auditory overwhelm. He will do, like I think we were talking about last time, he'll hide in the bathroom. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think they're starting to see that that's a symptom rather than a you know behavior of I'm going to go be by myself. It's actually that he's gotten overwhelmed and he's self-advocating. So they've done, I think, a lot of that. I think increasing the his responsibility at home, he's really engaged in doing that. So setting the table, making meals, emptying the to dishwasher, things like that. The interesting thing about that is that he has been doing all of that independently. Mm. And so what we're trying to work into is actually him being able to do some of those things with somebody else as a guide. Oh. So that he can work on kind of that in-the-moment negotiation with somebody else to accomplish a task that so many of our guys and gals struggle with. Or they can do it on their own or somebody else can do it, but that collaboration and that negotiation is what's hard. So, which I think would then help at school, mm-hmm. you know, for him to be able to have that foundation of being able to negotiate and collaborate on that in-the-moment scenario. Oh, Yeah. Contingent exchanges. Yes. Like you like to put in IEPs. I do love my contingent <laughs> exchanges. So, um, so that's... Else. You do, but not, not... Schools don't like that one. <laughs> no. I love it. 
<laughs> yeah, it's so true. It's so much better than turn taking. Because you can take a turn and check out when it's not your turn. Yeah. Not be paying any attention whatsoever. And then the person that. just says, it's your turn. Yeah. Which is total typical behavior when you're playing a game. Right? <laughs> you have one... When you play a game with your family, I don't know about you, but in my family, there's one person who's the turn monitor and everybody else is just chatting away. And that person values that everyone stays on track, but nobody else does, you know? Mm-hmm. And so if you happen to be playing with a turn monitor, you don't have to do any work. It's true. It's funny because I play board games all the time with my family too. And we, we never, like if somebody has to tell you it's your turn, it's annoying. <laughs> because you're not doing your job of paying attention. Correct. Right. Yeah, but um, yeah, some people in my family value the social engagement a little bit more than others. So <laughs> I'm used to playing board games just to socialize. Yeah. I and mean, it was where you have to remind everybody who's turned it right. and stuff like that. Yeah. But yeah, no, it's definitely, that's yeah. funny. Oh, but indeed. Anyway, so kind of back to him again, though. I am thinking, so it's interesting because the role that I get put into sometimes where I am in this case too, is direct to the student. Oh. Where, you know, ideally I would like to be supporting Um, the old Maggie. Maggie got a good yawn out there. (laughs) Mm. Um, I'd love to be supporting the people around him more than him directly, which sounds funny. Yeah. But um, I also see a nice opportunity for me to be able to support him in um, expectations in different environments um, and just really kind of going to those basics with him of kind of these, this is the, these are the ground rules. Yeah. Do you know that? Yeah. <laughs> um, and then I just was thinking that it's interesting that he will go to the bathroom at home. That's very consistent. He's been doing it for a long time. And I don't think he does that at school, and I'm wondering why. Oh, to call, maybe it's not calm in there. Middle school Echoing. boys' bathroom. <laughs> Echoey and stuff. Yeah. Potentially. Where I wonder, I know that they've talked about having places for him to go, but I think it's back to, oh, he has a place to go in a, his classroom in the back. But is year. is there a stigma at all attached, like his perceived stigma, by any chance? Because I know plenty of kids where those be. kinds of things are put in place with all good intentions, but the child won't access them because of... No, um, I think he does access it. Well, that's good. I just, I'm not, yeah. I don't know. It's so hard when we're not, we can't get yeah. totally in there every day. I feel like I wish so badly, like, if, if I could have a magic wand, I'd be able to spend... A week or two weeks solid with a student and family just like shadowing them yeah to go what's going on how can we help what's the big picture you know yeah Um, I um so to your to your um comment that you are working with the the student directly and thinking about him understanding more of the rules rules and roles in different places I will say that that was a surprising conversation that I had with a 16 year old yesterday or two days ago, and he, um, he's a great student, he's, takes piano, he's on debate, and he gets super annoyed if his mom tries to do or say or whatever, anything with him. And I said, you know, you are <laughs> a really good... 17-year-old who would agree with that. Yes. <laughs> and I said, you know, you're, 
your math teacher has helped you learn math. You didn't know Japanese before, and now you are in Japanese 3 uh-huh. because your teacher taught you that. I said, you're, you know piano, and you follow your piano teacher. I said, yep. your mom can teach you this stuff. Mm-hmm. And he was like, oh. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if it's he's going to remember it when they actually are having an argument about something. But it was it was to the point of huh. it had never been told to him, this is the job. Like, he thinks she's just nagging him. Right. She thinks I'm teaching him. Right. I sat there and tried to agree, <laughs> like to, to neutralize. Yeah. There's elements that. of both. But actually, her job is to help you problem solve and negotiate, you know, emotional situations and things like that. You're only here for another year and a half. I love that for some of my teens and even young adults and adults who are still living at home to, I don't, I, so it's so common a theme that somebody on the autism spectrum will kind of be overwhelmed by the choices or the way to think about something and helping them categorize can sometimes really help with, um, kind of that motivation to be involved, right? Mm -hmm. Where, um, I like that of kind of defining the parent role. Because it does get fuzzy when you're trying to transfer responsibility to them. It gets really fuzzy as to what your job is. And even saying that, their job is to transfer responsibility to you to be able to think for yourself, make decisions for yourself, negotiate social engagements, blah, blah, blah. Learn yeah. how to make a meal. <laughs> yeah. Et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. yeah. So. I might even try that with my own son. Not <laughs> autism. <laughs> We'll check back on that. Anyway. Yeah. All right. Okay. Well, a couple things that... Oh, we're going to reconvene with the show notes and stuff, right? Like, from this? Yes. Cool. Because I already have a couple that I'd love to share. Um, And I'm going to look for that video, the handshake video. Oh, yeah. Okay, great. Yeah. So, okay. Okay. Thank you. Sounds good. Awesome. Woohoo. So there you have our latest conversation with Barb and Pam. Thanks for listening. And if you would like more information regarding feedback loops or the IEP goal that we mentioned, take a look at our show notes because we do have a lot of informative links and even the wording of that contingent exchange goal that we were referring to. We really like that goal to help put the responsibility on the student to understand how they can go back and forth with another person and it helps the school to focus on that. So enjoy and we will see you next time.